Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. It is the coolest thing watching guests get off of that helicopter. They are stunned into silence. They're gobsmacked. Their eyes are big. Their mouths are gaping in awe of like, what just happened? Where did I just fly? What did I just see? And now I've just landed where? And I feel like, you know, I'm in a James Bond movie. Welcome to Away to Go, a production of iHeartRadio and Fathom. I'm Gerilyn Gerba. And I'm Pavia Rosati. For much of the 1950s, the mountaineer and surveyor Don Sheldon explored and mapped parts of the unknown Alaska Range in what was then the Territory of Alaska. Under the Homestead Act, he secured a nearly five-acre parcel of isolated Rock Peak, 10 miles from the summit of Denali. He decided to build a rustic shelter on it and invited fellow mountaineers and adventurers to come visit. Today on the show, Pavia and I are joined by Rob and Marnie Sheldon, who, a generation later, opened a high-end five-bedroom lodge on the glacial island, accessible only by helicopter or plane. At the Sheldon Chalet, data, cell coverage, and internet do not exist. Every single piece of lumber, every drawer pull, and every Alaskan kid crab leg is flown into a tiny airstrip established by the elder Sheldon. If it sounds incredible and slightly crazy and almost nearly impossible, it kind of is. Just a little bit crazy. But welcome to the podcast, Marnie and Rob. Thank you. Gerilyn and I are really Hello. happy to have you here. Um, can we just start at the beginning and ask why you guys decided to go through the trouble of, you know, doing something so big in such an utterly remote, hard to access and untouched place? Sure. So... This is really a honoring uh, my father and my mother's legacy, uh, first and foremost. But part of that legacy also was to have a good platform uh, at which exploration could continue both above and below the glacier, and hopefully we get into below the glacier during this conversation, uh, as well as a good place for folks to mobilize for their own uh, explorations just as individuals. Uh, it's through that that we're drawn closer to our special places, and we learn to have 
value them. And so uh, the additional uh, luxury accommodations accommodate families. Hopefully, multi-generational families will come and, and bring their, their children and, and have a better tie-in with nature and understanding the value of these places. Let's set the scene for our listeners here. How many bedrooms are we talking about? How do people get there? Like, walk me just through the super quick practicalities of how sure. I get here. Super quick practicalities. You're going to land in Anchorage, Alaska. We're going to have the heli meet you in Anchorage, or you're going to take a beautiful train ride to Talkeetna. We can pick you up there. Which Heli- takes helicopter in how long? Four hour train ride between Anchorage, Talkeetna. It's a gr- gorgeous ride. And I'm going north, north in? Just straight north. Straight north. Straight north. Okay. And then the helicopter will go from Talkeetna. You've just taken the train. It's a beautiful ride up. We meet you there. Now you hop on the helicopter. Helicopter is a half an hour ride in. Gorgeous, gorgeous, breathtaking, awe-inspiring scenery. That's the only way in. You can't drive. There are no roads. No, no roads. No snow machines. It's a long hike no if I want to Can't walk. You, you can't walk. Why no. not? There is this thing called the Ruth Icefall. So, okay, it's a glacier, right? Mm-hmm. You get to the edge of the Denali, and there's this massive glacier that, like a highway, an ice highway all the way up. Oh. Well, as it bends and turns around the mountains, it cracks open. And it's these caverns that are hundreds or 200s feet across that you cannot get through. I'm Amazing. already seeing so, the movie version where somebody tries to cross there and right, goes through. And, gets and falls it's beautiful and terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we don't do that. All right. yeah, so, so, so then, then we helicopter there, in. You land right at the chalet. So literally you could land in flip-flops. Or tennis shoes or high heels if you really wanted to be that kind of person. Great. So it sounds simple. <laughs> Just a flight, a train ride, helicopter, landing into a place where no one can get you in. Correct. In yes. It's, it's really a citadel of mountains. The Great Gorge, which is as deep as the Grand Canyon, which you fly through just to get there. If the ice ever melts out, by the way, it'll be twice as deep as the Grand Canyon. Uh, that's the only uh, simple way in, so to speak, other than flying up and over these gigantic mountains, rock faces over a mile tall. It just really gives perspective on life and our place in it. And the chalet is the only thing that you can see that humans can inhabit. So what what does it look like inside? Mm. Wow. It is very uh, simple, but refined decor, because as we were designing it, the whole idea was the view is out the windows. It wasn't to be gaudy inside. It wasn't to be overdone inside. So it's simple, elegant decor that allows that all that to fade in the background because what you're doing is looking out the windows every second of the moment that you're there. And the it, shape of the of the lodge yeah. accommodates that. Yes, so it, it, it's, a it's a hexagon and four of the, the six walls, which is a hexagon, uh, four of the six walls are effectively gigantic plate glass windows uh, capable of withstanding, by the way, uh, Hurricane uh, Cat 5 winds for an entire week. And, Do you ever and, get Hurricane Cat 5 wings in Alaska? Uh, no. Uh. So we're located at latitude 63 degrees north, which is very high up on the planet. And then we're at elevation of about another 6,000 feet. And that combination is unparalleled uh, for lodging either in the northern or so- southern hemisphere. And so there actually is a threat that the jet stream could dip down and the jet tr- stream does move that quickly. And so it's a good thing that we've designed the building uh, uh, for those sorts of, uh, of, of forces because it could happen someday, but it's highly unlikely and it's not happened to date. Well, it hasn't in our neck of the woods. Kind of like staying at, at the Sheldon Chalet is like being in a spaceship 
orbiting the planet. It's like <laughs> yes. you are you are alone. You better have everything figured out ahead of time. I love it. Well, you as a guest don't have to have everything figured out ahead of time because it's all taken care of for you, chef concierge, two mountain guides, and the guides are there to explore the 35-square-mile Don Sheldon Amphitheater, which is our playground. So glacier trekking, sledding, crevasse exploration. If you want to rock climb, we have that available. Ice climbing in the summertime as well. So there's all these adventures that most people, I probably would venture to guess, have never done before in their entire life. And so you, you get to be a mountaineer, ish while you're there because you're on ropes and harness teams as you're trekking out across the glacier for safety factors. I mean, you know, you just it's it's a whole new territory for so many people being what does it feel like to be out on a glacier in silence? Well, I imagine that even if even if you have done these things before, I've gone dog sledding, hiking, it still feels completely different. different. Yeah, what what we've been able to do with Sheldon Chalet is Uh, What used to require you to be an expert mountaineer willing to risk your life, uh, because we have these wonderful accommodations, which, by the way, reflect the original design plans from 1968. We kind of skipped over that, but we've built effectively what uh, my father and mother envisioned. But we've we've taken that, reduced the risks of overnighting and and knowing that you're going to be in a secure place. By the way, the Nunatak, the rock outcropping out of the glacier, is 20% titanium iron iron oxide, and because of that, it's, it's super strong, and that's why it's not been smushed by the glacier. Uh, and so you sit atop uh, about 300 vertical feet over the glacier on the top of this Nunatak. It drops off vertically very rapidly right below you, just outside the doors. Of course, we have uh, all sorts of railings and those sorts of things. But, but, but while you're there, you get the sense that this is not your ordinary place, and that is why one of the first things we get to do is teach folks about mountaineering school and walk them through those courses so they become more comfortable naturally, and and then we begin the adventures out on the glaciers. So so it's it's really in in that vein that we're able to get folks uh, primed. Okay, so I'm already packing my bags, but um, Marnie, you mentioned flip flops, but this does not sound like a shorts and a t-shirt type of setting. Am I wearing layers? And I'm, am I? Right. I mean, is it mostly? This is a snowscape that I'm seeing. So you said you, rock, rock climbing, but you're also talking a lot about ice. Correct. So it's it's even in August. No. See, that's okay. where it's so amazing because in the summertime, you can be out on deck. So we have like the chalet, the deck, and all of that where you could literally hang out in flip-flops, T-shirts, shorts. I've done it. We've done it. We've been there. It's hot because you have this constant barrage of sunlight during the day, temperatures rise, you're baking in the sun. If people want to cover, it's because you're trying to protect yourself from this. It's like too much sun. Mm. So that's where you so but when you're out on glacier, the minute we leave right. the property, that's when you're fully, you know, layered up because you're on snow. There's never a time where you're not on snow out right. on Right. I don't ever see grass from the deck. I'm looking at snow. Well, yes or and no. Ice. We do have little well, all right, tops yes, of grass, correct. but it's not like I'm laying out a no. picnic bl- nope. blanket. No, correct. Here. Okay, correct. Um, how 
have we talked about how many rooms you have? Because this yeah. is a this is a we have not, but there's only five bedrooms, so five it's a bedrooms. very small, intimate experience. And do you typically rent it out for? Do you rent the whole place out, or can I take one room and then yeah. just get to know the couples who happened? Or we have the two different, have... right? We do it two ways. You can do a shared experience where you would come and rent one room, and then you maybe an, you know another person from another place in the states or around the world could. So you share that experience with other people in those five bedrooms. Or you can have it all to yourself privately. So we run two different ways of those trips because not everybody wants it all by themselves. And so, and probably not everybody can afford this because I'm guessing this is not um, it is. This is not a youth hostel that we're staying in. Though. No, it's not a youth hostel <laughs> by any stretch of the yeah. imagination. You know, I'm fond of saying in Alaska that the moment that you step onto an aircraft for any kind of excursion, you no longer are entry-level market. And so even just to stay at the historic mountain house, which my father built in 1966 and is still available, that's a do-it-yourself. Uh, if you don't have glacial experience, we require that people hire a guide even in that situation, which is incrementally costly. But that's very reasonable. That's about $125 a night per person for for up to four people. But that's the historic mountain house. Do it yourself. Right. Um, A guide will cost somewhere around $500 a day. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. What we provide at Sheldon Chalet are two professional guides, a concierge and a personal chef to take care of, of your every need. And for that, yes, the price point is quite a bit higher than the historic mountain house. It's a new kind of luxury, though. It's such a unique experience that you're not getting anywhere else. It is so unique, Gerilyn. Thank you, because it, Alaska, number one, has never seen anything like this. And I'll be as bold as, like, really 
the world if I can because go you, ahead. You, do you it, can be Marnie. on glaciers, you can be elsewhere, but nowhere has this setting that we're offering in the Don Sheldon Amphitheater. And it goes all the way back to his dad in the 50s, mapping the Alaska Range with Bradford Washburn, seeing this little rock outcropping. They kind of use it as their control point. And you know, all the way you said, why this place? Why here? Why now? Well, I, we can't even really take the credit for that as it was his dad who had the vision way before we did, had plans drawn up. Plans were dated 1968 for this current, what we're now calling Sheldon Chalet. We found them buried in the family archives. We found um, audio tapes of his dad describing what he wants to do with the property, further developing it with another structure. His dad was such a visionary before his time. Incredible. But that unfortunately, so he passed away of cancer really early in life. Yeah. And never got to see it come through. So we pick it up in their honor. So we're not the we're not the wild, crazy visionaries. His dad is. But I do have to say it came through in You Robert. guys made it happen. Yeah. You guys made it Robert. happen. So that's a whole other thing. <laughs> well, sorry, curiously. Sorry, just before we get off this topic. So he drew up these plans in the 1960s. This is like Jetson era, right? It so, is. so was the technology that he was envisioning like robots and things? And you know, <laughs> nobody would have thought about cell phones back there. But I'm yeah. curious if he thought the tech, what he thought the future tech so was. So, if we would have built it back then yeah. as a family, we would have replaced it already. Right. So here's here's why I know that for a fact. In 2015, very warm summer, guess what starts to melt out of the ice on our property? Insulated floorboards and floor joists. My father had already started moving the materials up there to build the original plans. We did some stress testing calculations oh. on the materials that were up there. And we would, would have replaced have the whole whole shebang right. uh, by now. So instead, I took the steel approach. I want this to be multi-generational for as many people to enjoy this on a sustainable basis as, uh, uh, as possible. And that's why the do-it-yourself Historic Mountain House really sleeps four comfortably. You can fit six in if you really need to, but Sheldon Chalet only only uh, sleeps ten people maximum. It's to do it on a sustainable basis as possible. And the same goes for we only want to build this once. We don't want to put any additional uh, emissions or anything else in the air uh, uh, th th more than needed. And that's also why we believe we're uh, net carbon neutral. Uh, we have a 2,000-year-old Finnish uh, uh, masonry heater in there, the 2,000 year old technology, uh, and that together that with would our have solar. That an impressive heater. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's 8,000 pounds, so it's pretty impressive. Those two things together offset our heating fuel consumption, okay. and and so it's on a sustainable basis as possible because we don't want to disrupt our neighbor, which is a national park. They came to surround us in 1980, uh, joining in the party up there in the Don Sheldon Amphitheater. Yeah, because the park's existed since 1917, but it didn't include the summit of Denali. So when Congress expanded Denali National Park in the 80s, here it comes and surrounds us. So we were kind of out there by ourselves, and now it's National Park the minute you step off. Can you talk a little bit about some of the obstacles? Some of the major obstacles were that of logistics, figuring out how do we mobilize materials in and out most effectively. The biggest cargo we could take at a time was what's called a de Havilland Otter. Uh, that's a Canadian-made aircraft. They can hold 2,300 pounds of flight. Many days, we would haul 45,000 pounds of materials up there that's hand-loaded on the Otter and unloaded, and then we would use a helicopter to sling things up onto the Nunatak because oh the 
ice field around uh, the top of the Nunatak while it was level during my dad's days, it has subsumed 300 vertical feet since then. We still believe we have 1,000 or 3,000 vertical feet left, and we're going to figure out this next uh, March probably with some scientific experiments to see if that's accurate. We're going to map the amphitheater. No one's ever done the bottom of the glacier. We know what the top looks like really well. It's really flat. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in any event, uh, we had to sling everything up via helicopter, and so we had to be really thoughtful about that. So we built everything down mountain on the ground to begin with to make sure we had all of the parts and pieces, what could be segmented in into larger pieces, what had to be broken down. What had to be broken down? That he- that 8,000-pound heater had to be broken down into components and shipped up yeah, in Yeah, they were broken. It was broken down into about 15-pound components. Oh, my goodness. I and like so the idea of the baggage check. You know, when you go to the airport and they're like, you're a half pound over, that'll be $55, Miss Rosati. Yes. So those rates that you get charged thing. at yeah. the airport for your excess baggage are nothing in comparison to what we were charged for every flight just to get basic materials up there, and including food for our workers. Which how much How much did it cost you to build this thing? A lot. Okay. <laughs> and how much time did it take? So two years just to put in this excellent base foundation. I mentioned that the Nunatok is 20% titanium iron oxide, and we, did, we knew that because we tested it. It ended up being some of the hardest toughest rock uh, known to the drillers in Alaska. They had to get special bits to put our rods down into it, but it took two years to get the the base foundation to a competency that we're comfortable with, because not only does the building have to be rated for 200 mile an hour winds for up to a week, but it has to be able to hang into the the foundation that that we built. Yeah, and so it's literally anchored into the rock. We designed it uh, for a certain level uh, of pounds per square inch, and we ended up getting 150% of that actually maxing out the equipment because the rock was so competent. We were oh, very wow. excited about that. Did your father, <laughs> did he know these kinds of things when he picked this piece of land? What, what, he just had a good nose. I mean, it what, is what a, were the chances that you wouldn't have been able to build anything on this property? It seems I like don't so think my father knew you. the idea of you can't do this. He dad, literally oh, invented skis together with my maternal grandfather. There's an original tail ski up there. They were hammering these things out and experimenting with their own lives on the line of what would work to land in snow wow. at different altitudes. He operated the highest airport in the world at 14,300 feet for quite some time on Denali uh, to assist the Institute of Arctic biology so all of us could be warmer now. All, a lot of the technology that uh, the folks at Patagonia and other uh, clothing uh, clothiers uh, make came out of base research from back then in the Don Sheldon Amphitheater wow. as well as at 14,300 feet at this Institute of Arctic Biology uh, high airport. He did not know the meaning of no. Right. Okay, your dad is the Arctic Indiana Jones. <laughs> Has anyone ever told you that no. before? No, I've I've not heard that. He's totally that. right. No, he's like the MacGyver too. Yeah, but no, he was an incredible mechanic. <laughs> no, you're on to something. He <laughs> was an incredible mechanic. Like Most folks don't know this. He was the only person in the northwestern United States, as well as the territory of Alaska, because back then it was the territory of Alaska. He was the only person that was rated to actually create aircraft. It wasn't just pieces and those sort. He could sign off an entire new aircraft being rated, and there were very few of those in the United States in the 50s, yet he had that rating. 
So you were not a hotelier before you started this project? No. So what's that transition been like to suddenly have guests who are like, my coffee is sloshing? <laughs> Not that well, anybody thankfully, ever does none that, of our, 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 our guest coffee has ever sloshed, except maybe when they're on a ridiculously long half-mile sledding run down the side of one of our, 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 our snow faces. But So it's, it's been an interesting transition because I still have one foot in the world that I operate in, uh, which is facilitating uh, financing and economic development in the high latitudes. So I get to go really fun, far-off places where none of the investment bankers want to go because you want to know. It takes three days of their week just to get there and get back, and no investment banker wants half of their productivity to go away. But so you're any, used to that. You're like, yeah, whatever. You're like, whatever. Well, it's more important to build communities than look at uh, your bank account. And that's part of what my family has always felt. So in the high latitudes, anything above latitude 60 degrees north, which is where Anchorage is and where Marnie and I split time, you have to be flexible and you have to be willing to accept the challenge of the day. And be involved in more than one vocation. And so a hotelier uh, has been very exciting. It's been uh, actually quite symbiotic. If you think about it, one of the things that we're trying to do and build community is is see more year-round employment. And what we're doing is a year-round opportunity on Denali. By the way, until we built Sheldon Chalet, only 28 people had ever been on Denali, at least recorded between September and February of throughout history, only 28. And yes, so the (laughs) folks that are coming to visit us are true pioneers in and of themselves. Well, but that that year-round operation that we have up there, now we're finishing up our second year, it allows people to have uh, year-round jobs, not just try to work for four Four to six months. Four months of the year and earn the whole salary like you have in so many resort places. And that builds families and helps our local community. So where does does your staff live? They live at this chalet. When guests are there. When guests are there, they're at the chalet. We have staff quarters that are built underneath the helipad. So the helipad offers underneath it staff quarters. There's a sauna for our guests. And then on top of all that, we call it the observation deck. So we'll put out the Adirondack chairs and a fire pit. So it kind of has all these roles. So that's where they stay. And I want to just pause for it. There's four. There's a chef. Okay, right, so the, the staff who you were this, talking yeah, about. And then do there. they have partners and kids? And They have kids and partners. So the way they work, life is, again, we're not your traditional, like you said, resort yeah. where people are coming and staying for a six-week stint, an eight-week stint. They come on and off the mountain in between every guest stay. And I shouldn't say in between every guest stay. For example, we're coming into a season right now in September where it's like boom, did a boom, did a boom, did a boom. So we've rotated like, okay, you're here for about 10 days and and then the next wave of staff will come in for 10 days. So, we have so they go back to their Anchorage home. Or Anchorage, Anchorage or Talkeetna. And so, like, we have two different chefs. They flip-flop. We have two different concierges. They flip-flop. We have six guides. They all rotate through. And to Robert's who, point— who, who makes the beds? So the concierge's part, she okay. is, has the role of housekeeper. She's <laughs> okay. kind of the, you know, everything extraordinary. She's, she's the kind housekeeper. Of the mom. She's pouring your coffee. She's yeah. pouring the wine. She's the mom, the manager. Yeah. That okay. Is everything running smoothly? But to Robert's point about just creating community, creating jobs, allowing people to stay in the state. One of our chefs grew up in Alaska. Well, they're both Alaskans, but one grew up in Anchorage and, you know, fell in love with a chef, his chef world and came to the Culinary Institute of America, got trained up, went then out on the road with all these super mega name brand artists, um, you know, music, musicians, singers, Jack Even Johnson, chef for Neil President Young. Obama. All, you know, so, but what he found, though, is that 
I'm away from my family. I have a boy and I want to raise him and I don't want to be absent from his life. So to come back to Alaska, to be inspired, to have a job where he can do all the creativity they wants to do with his food was challenging for him. So like the confluence of us starting and him needing a role to be different than out on the road and being, you know, a transient chef, we come together. So now he's able to be in Anchorage, to be at home with his son. And then he's up for a couple days and he's back down and he's up. So it's just been a really cool transition for him and for us all at the same time. Yeah. Do you find that other people who are interested in building things in Alaska come to you? I mean, what you're doing, I imagine, cannot really be replicated, but does it inspire other people to do things like We're this We're kind of Alaska. just now seeing there's at first people looked at us like you guys are crazy you're Everyone outside of the we world of what we do up here what crazy. are you doing it's totally crazy yeah. well, well, in a and wonderful so we way have, we have beautiful remote places for example there is a hot springs that I kid you not is straight out of Lord of the Rings it's on a cliff overlooking this incredible river it's just it's mind boggling is this it's, in the park? It, no. no, it's another hour north of us okay. by 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 flight. Uh, and is and this something that guests do that the concierge arranges the, and the guides take you on? Is oh, this actually, how, how yes. you're spending your days? Yeah. Well, it, that would be an added adventure. Yeah. You'd have to pay extra for yeah. that because okay. it's just far and whatnot. Yeah. But and, and then not very far from there are the sand dunes that no one has even, as far as I know, photographed. I top, top, sand I, dunes? I, yes, we have sand, sand dunes. We have sand dunes in Alaska as well. But my point is, is we have these incredible remote places of which, of course, someone controls that land and we've had these folks approach us saying wow you just pulled off what everyone thought was impossible would you think about developing our lands and of course my response is yes because here's why Alaska does entry-level tourism really well for four months a year but as I mentioned before the moment you get in an aircraft you're in solid mid-market and up. And these places all need that sort of mindset of mid-market tourism in order for folks to be able to enjoy them because the aviation gas or the Jet A that goes in the helicopters, that alone costs an arm and a leg. And so we've been approached by, I'll say, innumerable folks with incredible pieces of property. And yes, we're well on the path to building out a network. And that will further assist in, here's another thing that the na- there's there's a lot of naysayers in Alaska, and I don't understand why. We used to have this incredible uh, pioneering inventive spirit, and it seems to be gone now. Well, guess what? There's folks that said, well, you'll never get Alaskans to be at the level of chefing and to be at the level, which, by the way, many of our, our guests have said these are the best meals they've ever had, or the or concierge uh, being able to live up to standards of table service as well as take care of the beds and everything else and we've had Mm -hmm. comments of can we please hire these folks away at least at least some of them have been polite enough to ask others have just offered jobs (laughs) but and then our guides the same same situation they're not only skilled in in our areas but other high mountain areas of the planet but we have competent people that are at the top of their game in all of these skill sets in Alaska and there's lots of them and most of them have to leave the state after the regular entry-level tourist season and go elsewhere, which is not conducive to family living, much less a local economy. And so I am all game to help develop and see more of these types of places. The luxury chalets of Alaska. Yes, as well as at the mid-market, though, because a healthy economy services all levels of the market. It's just like, yes. yes. 
Yes. Well yes. said. That's well right. said. Travel doesn't have to be only expensive to be mm-hmm. awesome. That's right. But it is expensive even just in the mid-market in Alaska. And I, I, I just want to say it's that. It's all because Pe- of those airplanes. It's all because <laughs> right. of those darn blasted aircraft. You can't get anywhere without an airplane. <laughs> once-in-a-lifetime experience for most people. Can you walk us through an abridged version of a perfect itinerary for guests? Whether Let's say you are going to go up there, you're taking people for the very first time. Okay. Perfect itinerary. So we're going to launch in the helicopter to Talkeetna. Midday, beautiful sunny day, and you're landing at the chalet. It's exclusive how we get our guests in and out. Then you land at the chalet and you're greeted by staff and everybody's out on the deck receiving the helicopter in. It is the coolest thing watching guests get off of that helicopter. They are stunned into silence. They're gobsmacked. Their eyes are big. Their mouths are gaping in awe of like, what just happened? Where did I just fly? What did I just see? And now I've just landed where? And I feel like, you know, I'm in a James Bond movie. So they come inside and we have this gorgeous uh, seafood extravaganza, we call it, with all the fresh Alaska seafood available for everybody. And they're getting their bearings and they're settling in. Guides are bringing baggage up to the room. Then we do a staff orientation, or not guest orientation, with the staff so that everybody's just aware of where you are and just some safety protocols, things to keep in mind. Now it's early evening and you're talking with the guides. Okay, what are the adventures that I can go do? And we we have all these amazing adventures, but the one thing that is so important when we have guests up there is nothing is decided until you're there in real time, taking into account the weather, the glacier conditions, your stamina, how you're feeling. We've seen guests, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to do their adrenaline junkies, and they're going to go, you know, do everything. And they get there, and they're just so in awe. They're like, uh... I'll just watch the Northern Lights from here. Pretty much, pretty much. Which are blue and purple, by the way, with the naked eye, which is not normal most places on the planet. So now we've just witnessed all those beautiful shooting stars in Aurora on that night. So you go to bed, and if it's the show is still going on, you can lay in bed and watch, and watch the show. Go because, down. as you were saying, so many of the walls are just glass windows. I designed yeah, it so that you can sit in the middle of the building, and there's a really important gentleman by the name of Jean Desjardins, who is our partner in engineering, and he helped me make sure that every angle that I wanted to get, so you can sit in the middle of the building and see the summit of Denali, which is unusual to get all of those angles and all that geometry right. But boy, did Jean help help me name of that. And if it wasn't for Gene on all of that engineering and another gentleman named Hank Swan on all the logistics, it probably would not be standing today. It took a whole team. But anyways, all of that work goes into this this client client (laughs) guest experience. So morning, next day, you're you're waking up, you know, chef's got breakfast prepared, made to order. Maybe it's huevos rancheros. Maybe it's smoked salmon, eggs benedict. Whatever it is, over 90% of every meal is locally sourced, too, even in the middle of the winter. But keep going, honey. (laughs) So you enjoy your breakfast, and now it's time to go out on Glacier. So the first thing you're going to do with our guides is go through a Glacier school. So it's what is it to be on a rope team, harnessed up together? There's different call signs if you want to stop, if you want to go, if you need to take a picture, all these yada, yada. And so that's about an hour it takes for everybody to get comfortable being on that. It sounds so simple, but there's little nuances when you're all roped together. And then that we go out for adventures. So guides packed up a gorgeous gourmet picnic that the chef has prepared. We're trekking across the amphitheater 
two miles, and we're going to go up to a place called Michio's Peak. And in Michio's, there's a beautiful saddle on snow, and that's where the guides are going to set up this picnic, which gives this view back down into the other side of the Great Gorge that you just flew in the morning before or the afternoon before. And as you're flying in in the helicopter, now you're getting this unparalleled view in person and you feel like about as big as a speck of dust. It is extraordinary. You're sitting on the edge of the Grand Canyon effectively. That's how deep the Great Gorge is. True. Incredible. So, So I'm now we've done this glacier trek, and it really does take all day. And now you're you're coming back to the chalet, and it's early evening, maybe mid-afternoon, depending on how fast the teams are going, back to the chalet. Now you want to take a sauna because you've just had this extraordinary experience, and you've kind of worked, worked some muscles. And so now you're going to get a sauna before dinner, then around the dinner table again. Now the guides are talking about the day, and you're sharing experiences and what you th- saw and experienced. And then a lot of our guides have summited Denali. So now the stories of their own personal climbs come out of what they know and the knowledge of the mountains. So it, it does become this learning, cultural, mountaineering experience all wrapped up into it. Don's story starts coming out and they start talking about that. Then day two, so now we've gone to bed again and now day two, or day, no, now we're into day three. Oh my gosh. <laughs> See, where does the time go? I know, it goes exactly, so it just speeds so. right along. Day three, again, a similar uh, itinerary, but you're going to a completely different place on the glacier. So we're going to And do you don't trekking. have a care in the world because you have not checked your phone because it takes those first two days to detox and that reflex action that all of us have. I've resisted it here just sitting, just speaking with you ladies of grabbing <laughs> my phone and and, so and, and, and seeing, what's, seeing what you've missed in the last few But by minutes. now, you're really relaxed, and this is why we require a three-night minimum. It's for everyone's own good. Right. So let's say the next day you're going to go out back to the glacier, but this time the guys are taking you through these ice caverns. So the cracks will open up and they've set a course with they've drilled in and they've made it all secure. So on your rope team, you're going to walk kind of through the course of this ice cave and get to explore the inside or the underneath or the belly of the glacier. And it just these, again, phenomenal experiences. Huge caverns, 40, 50 feet tall, and you're bathed in this blue light that's indescribable. It's, it's, there's, there's a presence there, and there's actually a magnetic feeling just to be in the amphitheater itself. Again, it's the citadel of mountains. There's rock faces that are over twice as tall as the Burj Khalifa within just a couple of miles of the chalet. But if it weren't for the 20,000-foot peak right behind it, Denali, you would say, well, those are really big. But then you see this huge summit, but there's this magnetism to the amphitheater. Sorry, Geraldine. Are there other people who are coming to these ice caverns and glaciers? No, no, you've got it to yourself. As a matter of fact... Why? Why? Just because it's so... Historically, or people, because you own them, uh, it's inaccessible. We don't own them. There, those are out in the national park. But the but reason if nobody I'm going else to Denali National Park, you I can't, can't go there. This so here, when people think they're coming to Denali National Park, like if you were just to show up in Alaska, you're going to go drive past the summit to the north side and then take a 90-mile road in. So you're on the ground, and you're going to end up in a valley that you don't even see, see Denali. We're on the south side of the summit on the 6,000-foot elevation. So we're on the mountain. We're on where the flanks of Where people going to see Denali National Park are on the ground. Looking up. Looking up on the backside, and you don't even get the view. Like, you don't even get to see the mountain of Denali until you're literally halfway into that road on a bus. So when you're with us, 
people are not staying overnight. You just we're the only access point to stay overnight, be it at the historic mountain house or at the new chalet. So when you're doing these adventures, you're the only people out there doing these adventures. No one else can just come in and do them for the day. You can stay other places within the national park, but it's all lowlands. Okay. It's not on the flanks of Denali. So it would just be too hard to get to these places. It's too right? hard to get to, okay. and the expenses of hiring guides and everything else, if you're trying to do it a la carte, we've made, we actually made our own guiding company, by the way, because we had As to. As you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we also, uh, with some friends, Got a really nice helicopter company going too because we had to. Because you had to. Yeah, and and but it's all of these things. It's it's cost prohibitive on the front end, and that's one of the reasons why I'm fond of saying Denali National Park is for everybody, but almost nobody can experience it, and that's why it's so important to us as a family to make it clear to everyone that the historic mountain house is still available for the do-it-yourselfers, and then Sheldon Chalet has this extraordinary experience too, to where you get to see my favorite places and Marnie's favorite places and let's not forget Kate's favorite places too. My sister who who uh, together she and I did the first entire year of construction before we joined together with the other gentlemen. Can you talk a little bit about the historic mountain uh, house because my understanding is that your father really built a lot of the tourism infrastructure in the state at that time and so the this is a rustic shelter at first when he first found and secured yep. this land, right? Yeah, so the historic mountain house is also a hexagon, six-sided, and it was a prototype for Sheldon Chalet. Sheldon Chalet just happens to be exactly five times as large. So same shape, same roof pitch, a lot of uh, similar uh, building techniques of of course, we built with steel, though, rather than wood. We don't want to do it again. Um, <clears throat> and so he uh, claimed the land in approximately 1953. The federal government's records are lost in this area. I believe it from our family records that that's the, the, the year. And it took him all the way until the year I was born in 1971 before we even got the land patent. But in mm-hmm. 1966, he built the historic mountain house. It was, uh, I'm guessing, somewhere around 50 flights over just three months. Contrast that with we had literally hundreds of flights over three years to build something five times as big. But it was very rudimentary and rustic, as you mentioned originally. That said, I am very impressed with the window technology, even back then in the 60s, because we still have several original windows in the historic uh-huh. mountain That's house. Amazing. Isn't yeah. that amazing? Yeah. yeah. So in that in that era, was your father personally flying people to and Absolutely. from the house? Yep. He, uh, he was personally flying folks up there. He preferred the mountain flying. So if you have eight specialty aircraft, you're not going to let them sit there. So he actually hired a bunch of pilots and other mechanics and other folks uh, to assist with the heavy load of having that many aircraft. But he preferred mountain flying. And basically, the last five years of his life, that's what he did exclusively. And he was really proud of the following record. And I'm going to elaborate a little bit more on than what he just said. But so over his lifetime, he flew over 25,000 hours of short hops. That's a lot of short hops. He wore out 48 aircraft. You can guess what that means. (laughs) But no one ever went to the hospital. 
And that's quite remarkable. And that latter part is what he was most proud of. He never put it in context. He just always would say, well, you know, I've had a few crack-ups, but no one ever went to the hospital. No, it's unbelievable to have that kind of a record in times when you're flying around harsh environments, your pioneer techniques of how to fly, how to land on glaciers together with my maternal grandfather, and this is before my dad met my mom. Um, they were pioneering techniques, still trying to figure things out together with a Swiss gentleman uh, uh, over in, of course, Switzerland. They were writing letters back and forth, and it was just, it was that kind of day and time. But in any event, that's the, the little bit I'd share about that. Rob and Marnie, I have a question about the future, and you are on a glacier. And what most of the listeners who are hearing this hear about glaciers is that they are incredibly at risk and that they're yes. melting. So you've just built this incredible thing and are talking about developing other things. Is there a risk that in 20 years the glaciers will melt? Yes. And so that's one of the reasons why we have a whole series of exper experiments going on up there. We're part of a bee study with the University of California, by the way. It turns out we have this really unusual genome uh, of bees of which some are on our property. We haven't figured out where the hive is, but I've not looked really hard because I don't want to disturb it, but we know they're there because we take a sample in the, each fall. We also have plants up there that people don't know what they are. The last time this Nunatak was probably exposed was 16,000 years ago, and just in the last 50 years has it reemerged. Some of the plants we have are unknown. The, You're going to see Bigfoot soon. Yeah. Probably. And, and so the whole uh, amphitheater, the ice on it, has subsumed just uh, 300 feet in just 50 years, yeah. and it's accelerating. More than 10% has been in the last 24 months. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we're going to map the ice on how thick it is probably this next spring if everything works out according to plan. What's really neat, my father, who mapped the entire Alaska range with Brad Washburn, Brad was trying to figure out the depth of the ice up there, but the equipment was rudimentary and didn't work, and so he resorted to dynamite in 1992, which the Park Service did not like, and neither do we. Mm. And so, but there's new technology now. Two of the guys working with Bradford Washburn back in 1992, he's long passed away. He'd be over 100 now. Um, but two of the guys are actually on our project this next next spring. And so we're going to figure things out because there is, there is a real danger to uh, glaciers losing their critical mass, and that affects entire weather systems. There's a lot of science going on on Denali, some really neat stuff uh, from folks at Dartmouth, some really neat stuff from the folks at University of Alaska. Alaska Fairbanks, as well as uh, University of Arizona. But we're going, we're getting to know better what's going on with our systems up there, but it is a real problem. We're losing ice at an alarming rate up there. Uh, a lot of the tourism community doesn't want to talk about this, but the reality is, is this year when some folks would show up for their glacier uh, uh, expeditions in, in coastal areas, guess what? There they weren't no there glacier. anymore. Oh my Literally, that yeah. that's a this year thing. It hadn't happened before this year, but, but so it is a real issue. And so the best way that I like to say is we're leveraging our Nunatak for better scientific knowledge of our area to give tools to the folks who do make decisions down the road on on what, what does this mean. We've already had some good studies come. We're 
Remember I mentioned that 14,300-foot camp that my dad established way back when? Well, guess what? There's a weather station up there still. Mm. And it takes all sorts of measurements together with, with another one on a mountain very close by called Mount Hunter. And between those, they've already had conclusive data that's predictive in scope of what it means for the bounty of our oceans, whether or not they're going to be very productive in coming years and those sorts of things. So the system of the glaciers impacts other things. Um, we don't know if, if, if it's necessary correlation is causation, but in some instances we do. But we're learning about that. Unfortunately, things are happening at such a quick pace, it's going to be difficult to, 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 to know if we're in time. Well, let's hope we've got the politicians who are making these decisions listening to this podcast and listening to you, actually. <laughs> Our listeners will be able to find out all about Sheldon Chalet uh, on the show notes. And um, your website is Sheldon Chalet. Dot com. com. Pretty simple and straightforward. Marnie and Rob, thank you so much for being here. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Well, thank you. We appreciate being here. And we'll see you there soon. Yes. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And, you know, leave us a five-star review. A Way to Go is a production of iHeartRadio and Fathom. You can find the details we talked about in the show notes and on our website, fathomaway.com. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter when you're there. You can get in touch with us anytime at podcast at fathomaway.com and follow us on all social media at at fathomwaytogo. Please tag your best travel photos, hashtag travel with fathom. If you want to really go deep on the travel inspiration, pick up a copy of our book, Travel Anywhere and Avoid Being a Tourist. I'm Geraldine Gerba. And I'm Pavia Rosati. And we'd like to thank our producer, editor, and mixer, Marcy DePina, and our executive producer, Christopher Hasiotis. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.